Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for Jesus. And Heavenly Father, we know that um, extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. And Lord, we know that Jesus claimed equality with you. And many people ask, and the question, was Jesus really God? So Heavenly Father, I pray that as we look at this particular passage of Scripture, we would be fully and finally and forever convinced concerning the deity of Jesus. But more than that, Lord, that we would be fully and finally convinced to allow Jesus to be the governor, the ruler, the rightful king and Lord of our life. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray that you would open up our hearts. Lord, we pray that you would communicate to us what we need to know, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. John chapter 5, beginning in verse 17, it says, But Jesus answered them, My Father has been working until now, and I've been working. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him, because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his own father, or was his father making himself equal with God? Then Jesus answered and said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do. For whatever he does, the son also does in like manner. For the father loves the son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son, that all should honor the Son, just as the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears My word and believes in him who sent me, has everlasting life, and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life, most assuredly I say to you, the hour is coming, and now is when the, son, when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God, and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life, in himself and has given him authority to execute judgment also because he is the son of man do not marvel at this for the hour is coming in which all who are in the graves will hear his voice and come forth those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of condemnation I can of myself do nothing as I hear, I judge, and my judgment is righteous, because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Many years ago, I, was, I had a radio program in Southern California, and I went to a particular convention, and there was Zig Ziglar. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of him, but he's a very famous motivational speaker. And when he came out to speak, his opening line was, A lot of people claim to be from Mississippi, but I really am. 
that's what we did. We laughed because what a ridiculous thing to say. A lot of people don't really claim to be from Mississippi. Most people don't. I mean, that's what made it funny. I mean, who's from Mississippi? Is there anybody here from Mississippi? Well, one person. My, my mother was from Mississippi. Most people don't claim equality with God. Now, there have been some notable exceptions in the not-too-recent past. Some of you are maybe familiar with an actress named Shirley MacLaine. She had some miserable roles and some halfway decent ones. But in one particular instance, she did a movie where she basically claims to be God. And in South America, she's running on the beach in her flowing little um, gown. And she's saying, I am God. I am God. I am God. And there's a certain sense of heaviness and misery as you realize, I'm disappointed, I'm disappointed. Because if she's God, then I'm disappointed. There's a lot of claims that are made that are disappointing claims. Whenever you turn on the radio or look at the TV and you hear the words, no snoring, hair growing, fat burning, wrinkle removing, you're immediately shut down and you just go, lies, 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 lies. Anyone can claim anything, but that doesn't make it true. Remember the context of John's Gospel in chapter 5. Jesus has come to Jerusalem to honor God the Father by celebrating one of the feasts. Just north of the temple precinct near the Sheep Gate, the pool of Bethesda, Jesus has healed a man who was lame for 38 years. And after asking the man if he wanted to be healed, Jesus delivered the man from his lifelong disability. And instead of celebrating God's mercy and God's healing, the religious leaders only saw religious rule breaking. And legalists take the joy out of life. And they also attempt to kill the spirit. And in this case, they'll literally try to kill Jesus. You'll remember in verse 16 it says, For this reason the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. Look at verse 18. Therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him. In the original language, it's in the continuous tense. We might even read from that moment on. A day never went by, a week never went by, when the religious leaders weren't contemplating the most effective way to get rid of Jesus. They want to kill him. Because he opposes them. But also because of the claims that he's making about himself. The storm is brewing. The clouds are gathering. And it's about to erupt in rage. And this is the great divide. The great question that, that everyone has asked. And every generation since then. Who are you, Jesus? Who are you really? Doug Grotice is a professor of, of religion and philosophy here locally at Denver Seminary. In a, in a great book called Jesus in an Age of Controversy wrote, quote, No other name has inspired greater devotion evoked greater reverence, 
ignited greater controversy. And that's the controversy still rages. Is Jesus God? Is he a human being who his disciples surreptitiously put upon him claims that he never made about himself? You know, it's interesting to me. Most people who ask and answer the question rarely go to the, to the best source of information about the answer, the Bible. And they rarely look at Jesus' own claims about himself. We do know that extraordinary claims require extraordinary proof. Did Jesus really claim equality with God? Or was this something fabricated, imposed? Jesus makes five unmistakable claims to full equality with God. Number one, he is equal with the Father in his person. Jesus claims that just as the Father is God, that he is God. And number two, he is equal with the Father in his works. Jesus claims that whatever the Father can do, he can do. And number three, he claims equality with the Father in his sovereign power. Whatever the Father can do in his sovereign power, he can do. He also claims equality in his judgment, number four. And he also claims equality both in worship and submission and in honor. He says, whatever the Father is due is due me. And then he offers extraordinary proofs. One proof is his obedience in verses 17 through 19. The second proof is his great works in verse 20. The, the, the third proof is he's the giver of life. The fourth proof, he's the final judge. The fifth proof, he has complete authority. The sixth proof, he, he is self-existence. The seventh proof, he has the ability to execute that judgment. And the eighth proof is his unique relationship to the Father. And the ninth proof is his power to resurrect all human beings and effect final judgment. Look at verse... 17 again it says but Jesus answered them my father has been working until now and I have been working therefore the Jews sought all the more to kill him because he not only broke the Sabbath but also said that father, that God was his father in the original language it's in, it's a it's a personal reflexive kind of a statement that God was his very own father making himself equal with God. In the original language it says hos arte erga zetei my father keeps on working even until now. Remember they're accusing him of breaking the Sabbath, but Jesus is claiming the right. To work on the Sabbath. You want to know why? Because he's God. Well, didn't God rest on the Sabbath? Yes. God rested from his creative work and provides a picture for each and every one of us of working and resting. But yet God never ceases to work, even on the Sabbath. Yes, God rests from his creative work, but not from his other work. He doesn't cease the work of love. He doesn't cease the work of mercy. He doesn't cease the work of care. He doesn't cease the work of compassion. And after looking after and ceaselessly committed to, it, to causing all things to be accomplished according to the pattern of his own perfect will, 
He will do it. Jesus says, my father continues to work and I will work. He even says, I will do the same work that God works. The idea being, and listen carefully, whatever God can do, I can do. Now think about what an excellent opportunity for Jesus if it isn't a misunderstanding. You claim that God is your very own Father and you're claiming equality with God. This was the perfect time for Jesus to go, wait a minute, there's a misunderstanding here. I'm a Jew just like you. I have a mom just like you. I have a dad just like you. I am a Jew with all of the limitations and and imperfections. But that's not what happened. He doesn't say, look, why are you trying to kill me because I broke the Sabbath? Clearly we have, a, we have some differences here. Let's clear up those differences. But this is how he clears them up. Number one, he doesn't dispute the claim. The religious leaders are trying to kill them, be, kill him because they rightly understand Jesus is claiming to be God. And by the way, in that religious culture and society, even according to the law of Moses, if you claim to be God and you're not God, are you a liar? Yes. If you claim to be God and you are not God, are you bearing false witness? Yes. If you bear false witness, are you committing a crime that in Jewish culture and society is worthy of death? The answer is yes. By the way, the religious leaders will try and they will eventually succeed in killing Jesus for the things that he said, for the things that he did. They'll kill him because of the people he hung out with. They will kill him because they lack respect for him. They will kill him because they see him as a threat to their religious traditions. When Jesus spoke of his authority, it outweighed their authority. And the religious leaders did not believe the claims of Jesus. They were even angry that some people accepted his claims. In John chapter 7, verse 48, it says, Have any of the rulers or the Pharisees believed in him? But this crowd that does not know the law is accursed. In other words, the religious leaders assumed that belief by some in the crowd was due to ignorance or superstition or because they were foolish and and stupid and deluded. But the interest Jesus generated brought more hatred and jealousy by the religious leaders. And the miracles of Jesus angered the religious leaders. But they couldn't bring themselves to deny the miracles. All they could was attribute the supernatural miracles to the supposition that Jesus was in league with the devil. And in John chapter 8, that's exactly what they'll do. They'll accuse him of being, if not demonically possessed in league with the devil. But look what it says in verse 19. Then Jesus answered and said to them, 
Most assuredly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of Himself, but what He sees the Father do. For whatever He does, the Son also does in like manner. You're going to see that expression many times in John's Gospel. I've already explained it to you. Most assuredly is an idiomatic expression that's also translated verily, verily, truly, truly. It, he, he's drawing attention to the truthfulness of what He's about to say. This is the truth. I'm not lying. You can't contradict this. It's his way of saying, you must hear and accept what I'm saying. And look what it says. For the Father loves the Son and shows him all things that he himself does. And he will show him greater works than these that you may marvel. Yeah, I've healed this man by the poolside. This is only one of many miracles that are about to come. I'm going to do stuff that's going to blow your mind. Jesus claims a unique relationship with the Father. God isn't simply Father in a generic sense, which fits all categories, but Jesus claims a unique relationship that God is his very own father and Jesus claims not only an equal relationship but listen carefully equality in the task the work that they both share most assuredly I say to you the son can do nothing of himself but what he sees the father do for whatever he the father does the son does in like manner it's Jesus's way of saying whatever the father can do I can do do you understand the enormity of this claim? When a person says, whatever God can do, I can do. How do you take that? Well, that sounds like he's claiming equality with God. That's exactly what he's doing. He is, in effect, claiming equality in action. But he's also claiming equality in identity and the ability Chuck Swindoll writes, quote, like a shadow which is neither identical to nor independent of the substance from which it is cast, so the Son and the Father are distinct from yet dependent upon each other. In John 1.1 1, 1 it says, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. In John 1.1 1, 1 it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the book of Colossians, Paul writes that Jesus is the creator of all things. That everything that exists, everything that came into being, exists because Jesus brought it into being. By the way, you reject, you're, you're free to reject this claim. You can sit there and you can go, I don't believe that. And that's fine. But you can't reject the fact that he's making the claim. It is a claim. It is true. Or it is false. One person who's rejected this claim is a talk show host. Some of you may be familiar with him. His name is Phil Donahue. 
And in his autobiographical book called Donahue, he writes, and I quote, If God the Father is so all-loving, if he, why didn't he come down and go to Calvary? Then Jesus could have said, This is my Father in whom I am well pleased. How could an all-knowing, all-loving God allow his Son to be murdered on a cross in order that he might redeem my sins? You know what he's saying? I don't believe that. I don't believe that. Donahue, like many others, ignores the revelation of the Scripture because the sacrifice of the Father is as great as the the sacrifice of the Son. It reveals the fact that he's never really read or understood the Bible. Look what it says. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father doing. Jesus is sacrificing. Are you for a moment going to suggest that the Father is not sacrificing? That's exactly what Jesus is claiming. The claim of Jesus is that two persons are acting in unity together because they are one. The Father loves the Son. And by the way, the word translated love isn't the familiar or expected agape, but phileo. Only here, phileo is the type of relationship love. From our human standpoint, phileo is a word that describes personal affection between people who care about one another and share all things in common. Think carefully about what Jesus is saying. Is Jesus making the claim? I'm an ordinary man. I'm an ordinary Jew with ordinary rights, ordinary responsibilities, ordinary limits, ordinary insecurities, or ordinary limitations. He's not saying that. Some have suggested that Jesus is simply saying, well, it's okay to work on the Sabbath. It's not a big deal. But that's false reasoning. Jesus is not suggesting God's command or God's instructions to the Jews have been set aside, but rather it is a day that can certainly be used for compassion and for teaching and for caring. And because he is God, he has the right to care and have compassion and exercise care and compassion as he sees fit. And look at verse 21. As the giver of life. For as the Father raises the dead and gives life to them, even so the Son gives life to whom He will. Jesus has claimed equality and identity of action. In other words, whatever God can do, I can do. But look what else He's claiming. He's claiming the fundamental ability to impart life. And by the way, the phrase, and gives life to them, is very interesting in the original language. The Greek verb is a compound verb, zoe, which is the Greek word for life, poeo, which is, which is translated to impart or to give. In the Old King James, it's translated quickeneth. It's a compound word that means to make alive. Or to give life. So the verb here signifies communicating 
spiritual life. The idea being giving spiritual life to the physically dead. Now, listen, listen carefully. There are those who are physically dead, and there are those who are spiritually dead. Jesus is claiming here to be able to impart spiritual life. Later, he will make the claim that he can even impart physical life. That's the idea. In verse 28 and 29, the physical dead are given life. Here, the spiritually dead are given life. To assert or substantiate his claim of equality, Jesus declares to have the same power the Father does over the dead. Earlier in John's Gospel, John, the the Apostle, wrote, In him was life, in chapter 1, verse 4. That meant, in him he had life in and of himself. Last week, a, a, a little girl called my radio program. She calls and she says, Hi, I think her name was Megan. Hi, this is Megan. And I want to know, how did God make God? And I go, that's a very good question. That's a great question. Thanks for asking that question. In existence, there are two kinds of beings. There's the type of being that was created. And then there is the type of being that is uncreated and self-existent. God falls into the category of a self-existent, uncreated creator. There's never been a time when God didn't exist. He has always existed. And everything else that exists, exists because God created it. She goes, oh, thanks, bye. That's exactly what Jesus is claiming. He's claiming to have the ability to impart life. To assert or substantiate his claim of equality, he claims to have the same power that the Father does over the dead. Later in chapter 11, Jesus will raise his friend Lazarus from a grave where Lazarus has been dead for four days. You'll remember in John chapter 11, there comes a point where Jesus tells the sisters to, well, the people who are there and the sisters to roll away the stone and to take off the grave cloths. And the sister says, but Lord, he stinketh. That's the old King James version of four days. He's a little ripe right now. His body has started to decompose. Decomposition has already set in. what Jesus says? Lazarus, come forth. You know why I think he said Lazarus, come forth? Because if he had just said, come forth, everyone within the sound of his voice, it would have been night of the living dead, chapter 11. But that's not what happened. Lazarus comes forth. Chuck Swindoll writes, and I quote, Man can give medicine when sickness comes, food when hunger comes, help when weakness comes, love when loneliness comes. But when death comes, man can only give sympathy, only compassion, never the gift of life. Only God can do that. I remember when I first heard 
the gospel, I heard John chapter 11 being spoken and and, and I heard the words a preacher was preaching and he, he was quoting John chapter 11 and he said, I am the resurrection and the life and he that believes in me, even if he were dead, yet shall he live and whosoever lives and believes in me will never die. And when I read the passage of Lazarus coming forth after having been dead for such a long time, rotting, decomposition already starting to kick in, I thought to myself, I wonder if he can save someone like me. I wonder if he can forgive someone like me. I wonder if he can change someone like me. I was born in New Orleans, Louisiana. My father was from Sicily. My mother really was from Mississippi. She was a Mississippi mud dirt farmer. My grandma and grandpa on my mother's side used to ride the rails in the 1930s. They were hobos. My grandmother insisted that my grandfather stop riding the rails when she became pregnant with my mother. My mother became pregnant with me when she was 15 years old. And she had me when she was 16. They were children. I was left to the care of my Sicilian grandparents. I spent the first three years of my life with them. I grew up. My parents got a divorce. We moved to California. And I lived in a world where anything went because my mother dropped out of high school in order to have me. She immediately became pregnant with my, 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 my little brother and then my sister. Before my, my mother was 20 years old, she had three children. lived in absolute poverty and wickedness. And when you live in a world where anything goes, anything will go. And I became bitter and angry and hurt. I hated God, I hated my family, and I hated everything on this planet. In high school, I was invited to go to a Christian concert at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. It was March 1973. And I heard the music play. And I heard the message preach. And for just a split second, for just a brief moment, for just a split second, I thought I heard the voice of Jesus saying that He would forgive my sin and that He would give me life. And I believed Him. And I got saved. You see, he imparts spiritual life. And look what it says in verse 22. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. I'm sure that each and every one of you at some point in your life wondered whether or not you would come to the end of your life and that in eternity you would stand before God and have to give an account of your life. Even your unbelieving family, even your unbelieving friends, even your unbelieving family and friends are, are suspicious of the fact that one day they're going to have to stand before God, but they have no idea that they're going to stand before Jesus. That's exactly what the text says. For the Father judges no one, but has committed all judgment to the Son. 
Do you realize that it's Jesus Christ, the Lord, who will judge every man and every woman who has ever lived? And look what it says in verse 23. That all should honor the Son. Just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent Him. Well, I believe in God, but I don't believe in Jesus. You dishonor the Father. No wonder John the Apostle would later write in the little epistle of John, he would say, He who has the Son has the Father, but he who does not have the Son does not have the Father. Jesus claims that he will judge every single human being from Adam to the last person who draws their last breath. We're immediately struck by the audacity of that claim. There's a current presidential hopeful named Barack Hussein Obama. And he's written a book entitled the audacity of hope. It's an interesting title. And he's right about outrageous hope. The audacity of hope. The outrageousness that life doesn't have to be the way that it is for so many people. He writes about the audacity of hope. But Jesus makes this audacity audacious claim that every single human being who ever lived will have to give an account and how could he righteously judge unless he knows everything about everyone unless he's privy to every thought and every tear of every suspicion of every word and of every deed Jesus makes the outrageous claim God the Father won't judge you I will By the way, if you think that's the only verse in the Bible that suggests that Jesus is the final judge, think again. In Acts chapter 10, verse 42, Luke writes concerning the speech that Paul gives, quote, And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that it is he who was ordained by God to be the judge of the living and of the dead. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, Paul writes, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, right before Paul awaits the executioner's axe, his head is to be severed from his body. He writes to Timothy and he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and in his kingdom. Are you getting the sneaking suspicion that Jesus is claiming equality with God? When I can do everything that God can do, I have life in and of myself. I can bring the spiritually dead back to life and I can bring the physically dead and judge them. Think about how outrageous that is. Jesus once stood bound and beaten before an earthly judge. He was once a prisoner himself. He was accused of blasphemy. 
He was unjustly tried. He was brutally beaten. He was mocked by his executioners. He stands before Pilate, and Pilate says to him, Don't you realize I have the power to, to, to kill you or to set you free? Do you remember Jesus' words? You would have no power whatsoever except that power which is given to you from above. You know what the Bible says? The Bible says from that moment on, Pilate tried to let him go. Those aren't the words of a crazy man or an insane man. That's the words of a man who's completely and fully in control of his faculties. Think carefully for just a moment. That's the Jesus you'll stand before. Well, I don't want him to judge me. Tough. He will. Do you want to know why? Because he's the only one capable of it. He's the only one who knows you personally and intimately. He's the only one who's numbered the hairs on your head. For some of you, that's not such a tough task. But he knows the reality. And because the Father honors the Son's sacrifice... Father will honor him. And look what it says in verse 24. He determines destiny. Most assuredly, that's that word again. Don't dismiss it. This is the truth. If you don't get it, it's your own fault. This is the truth. He who hears my word. You'll note that the word word is singular. He's talking about the sum and the substance of his entire message. I have come from God. God sent me to the planet Earth. God sent me to live the life that you could never live, to die on a cross and to rise from the dead. This is the gospel. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes in him who sent me, who sent him? The Father. The Father sent the Son has everlasting life. It means more than just living forever and ever. Do you want to know what it means? Just flip over to John chapter 17, verse 3, just for a second. In John chapter 17, verse verse 3, Jesus in his high priestly prayer is praying to the Father. He lifts up his eyes. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. In verse 3 it says, And this is eternal life. That they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? Eternal life is more than just living forever and ever in heaven. Eternal life is loving forever and ever, and being loved forever and ever. Jesus puts it all on the line. How outrageous is that? The new birth is a great mystery. But the process is very simple. Paul wrote, Believe in your heart. Confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord. And you'll be saved. And look what else Jesus says. Shall not come into condemnation. The word condemnation is the judicial pronouncement of guilt. 
What's the outrageous claim? Jesus claims not only is he the judge, but he's also the one who can pardon and release and exonerate. He's the one who can issue a verdict of not guilty. So how can a person who is guilty become innocent? Jesus gives the way. Believe me. Believe that the Father sent me. Believe my word. And look what it says in verse 25. Most assuredly, there it is again. I say to you, the hour is coming and now is when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. Is he talking about those who are spiritually dead or is he talking about those who are physically dead? I'm going to suggest to you that minimum, it means both. R. Kent Hughes wrote, You can know, you can know you have eternal life when the dead hear the voice of Christ. They enter into relationship for life. Have you heard his voice? Has he spoken to you like he's spoken to me? I know who you are. I'm willing to know you and love you and forgive you. And look what it says in verse 26. For as the Father has life in and of himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in and of himself. Do you understand what Jesus is saying? Jesus is saying that he is a self-existent being. That not only does he have life in and of himself, that means he's not dependent on anyone or anything for his existence, but that he has the ability to impart life. If you're dead, he can make you alive. And each and every one of you will be dead. In the not too distant future. And Jesus will call you up out of the grave. And you will stand before him. And look at verse 27. And has given him authority to execute judgment. And listen carefully to what that means. And has given him authority. Not only does Jesus have the authority to pronounce judgment, guilt or not guilt, he has the authority to execute judgment. Do you understand what that means? That means that he has the the ability to make good on his judgment. I don't want to go to hell. Good for you. I don't want you to go to hell. And neither does Jesus. You know, it's the saddest thing in the whole wide world. There is someone listening to my voice right at this very moment who will wind up in hell. Not because that's the way Jesus wants it. But because they foolishly, consistently, persistently reject Christ's invitation. Do not marvel at this, for the hour is coming in which all who are in the grave will hear his voice. Here's what Jesus claims. He claims the power to resurrect the dead, all dead, in every generation. By the way, is he going to make good on that? If his life is any indication of what's to come, does Jesus himself come back to life? Uh, yeah. 
Jesus makes three facts crystal clear. Number one, there's life after death. Number two, every person will enter into an eternal consequence. You are going somewhere, and when you get there, something is going to happen. And number three, every person falls into one of two categories. Believers or unbelievers. The righteous and the unrighteous. But it's more than just a theological speculation. It has a practical application. Each and every one of you will come back to life and Jesus will will say, Hey, I know you! I know you. I know you. I know you. I know you. Can you imagine going? But there will be some who will. He will say, Depart from me. I never knew you. How could you not know me? I was at church. Because going to church isn't what makes you know. It's when you fully and finally and completely surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord. In Lewis's last book in the Narnia series, The Last Battle, Aslan tells Peter and Edmund and Lucy that there's been a terrible accident. It's a railway accident. And that they're all dead. Quote, But as he, Aslan, spoke, he no longer looked to them like a lion. But the things that began to happen after that were so great and beautiful that I cannot write them. And for us, this is the end of all the stories, and we can most truly say that they all lived happily ever after. But for them, it was only the beginning of the real story. And their life in this world and all their adventures in Narnia had only been the cover and the title page. Now at last they were beginning chapter one of the great story which no one on earth has read which goes on forever and ever in which every chapter is better than the one before. before Christ everything will be different I wish I could say that from the moment that I accepted Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior all of my problems went away and I never was a disappointment and I never did anything wicked and I never did anything weird and I never did anything wrong but then I would be lying to you here's what I've discovered, that even if I'm unfaithful, he is faithful. Look what it says in verse 30. I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, I judge. My judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of the Father who sent me. Jesus claims equality with 
the Father because He is, listen carefully, forever faithful. Just as the Father is forever faithful, the Son is forever faithful. We have to consider an unpleasant possibility. And the unpleasant possibility is, did Jesus lie about himself? While there is the theoretical possibility, there's no evidence. There's no evidence to support that he lied. Everything we know about the character of Jesus, everything we know about the life of Jesus, everything we know about the work of Jesus indicates that he always told the truth. Jesus goes out of his way to underscore the truthfulness of his works and the truthfulness of his words. Truly, truly, assuredly, the Pharisees said to him, You bear witness of yourself. Your witness is not true. Jesus responds, Even if I bear witness of myself, my witness is true because I know where I came from and I know where I am going. I am the one who bears witness of myself and the Father who sent me bears witness of me, Jesus says. Hey, you may not accept me. Or my word, Jesus says, but I know who I am. I know something that you don't know. I know where I came from. And I know where I'm going. If Jesus was a liar, he was a persistent liar. He was a consistent liar. And he was a liar right to the end because you know what? He confesses to being the Messiah before his accusers. In Matthew 26, 63, it says, And the high priest answered and said to him, I adjure you. He's calling on him to swear a sacred oath. I, I, I adjure you. I call upon you to swear you by the living God that you tell us if you're the Christ, if you're the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, It is as you said. And this statement causes the religious leaders to bring Jesus to Pilate to be crucified. The Jews answered, we have a law. And according to our law, this man ought to die because he has made himself to be the son of God. Jesus assumes the prerogatives of deity. Well, you know, he's not really equal with God. Oh, no. He claims to have control over people's eternal destiny. He claims to have ordained the institution of the Sabbath. He claims to have power to answer prayer. He claims to have the right to receive worship. He claims the right to to faith and obedience to Him alone. He claims the right to forgive sin. And His shocked opponents correctly understand the implications of that. Jesus calls God's angels, his angels. Jesus calls God's elect, his elect. Jesus calls God's kingdom, his kingdom. He made himself out to be the eternal God, the creator of the universe. Was he insane? Is it possible that in a, in a, in a time, in a, in a place where they have no rubber suits and they have no rubber rooms and they don't have psychotropic drugs, that Jesus was just, he really literally thought he was God, but, but he, he didn't have both oars in the water. That not all of the threads were on, that they were stripped. But here's the problem. He doesn't speak and act like an insane person. 
And when you look at the life and the teachings of Jesus, when you read the Sermon on the Mount, it doesn't sound like an insane person. As a matter of fact, it says in John 7, Then the officers came to the chief priests and Pharisees who said to them, Why haven't you brought him to us? The officers said, No man ever spoke like this man. Imagine, you send the local police department, you send the health officials, you send the psychiatrists, you send the federal authorities, and they all get saved. The words of Jesus rang true in their mind and in their heart. And when Jesus was in the worst of circumstances, under enormous pressure, he remains in control. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when they come to arrest him, Jesus says, Do you think that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he will provide for me more than twelve legions of angels? How then could the scripture be fulfilled that this must happen so? In that hour, Jesus said to the multitudes, Have you come out as a robber with swords and clubs to take me? I sat daily with you, teaching in the temple, and you didn't seize me. But all this was done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. careful search of the scriptures you find nothing 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 in the character of Jesus that would bring a thoughtful person to the conclusion that he was a liar or that he was insane as a matter of fact secular psychiatrist J.T. Fisher explains it this way and I quote if you were to take the sum total of all the authoritative articles ever written by the most qualified psychologists and psychiatrists on the subject of mental hygiene if you were to combine them and refine them and cleave out all the excess verbiage, and if you were to have these unadulterated bits of pure scientific knowledge concisely expressed by the most capable of living poets, you would have an awkward and incomplete summation of the Sermon on the Mount, and it would suffer immeasurably through comparison. For nearly 2,000 years, the Christian world has been holding in its hands the complete answer to its restlessness and fruitless yearnings Here rests the blueprint for successful human life with optimism, mental health, and contentment. Liar. Mentally deluded. Doesn't fit the facts. So what do we do with the claims of Christ? Reject them. Or accept them. accept them, then you have to accept the radical claims for what they are, the revolutionary claims of Jesus Christ stand in stark contrast to all of the failed philosophies of the combination of human thinking and wisdom. He calls upon you to receive him, his love. friendship, his fellowship. Heavenly Father, Lord, we pray. We pray for that person, Lord, who, for whatever reason, he he just can't bring himself to believe this. It can't be true. And that person is thinking at least one right thing, if Christianity is false, Jesus is the most dangerous, the most deluded, the most wicked, 
the most perverse being who's ever lived to give so many people so much hope based on a lie. But Lord, we have the irrefutable proof that a real Messiah lived and that a real Messiah died and a real Messiah rose from the dead. And because Jesus is alive, He can make each and every one of us alive. And because He is who He says He is, He will, in fact, bring all of us back to life in the not-too-distant future. And we will each stand before Jesus. That's interesting, Father. You have committed all judgment into the hands of the Son. And our eternity rests in exactly what Jesus thinks of us. Having a full and complete knowledge of every thought and every deed. Lord, I pray, I pray, I pray that by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would extend the invitation. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Believe in me. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word, have you heard the word of Jesus? I love you. I lived a life you could never live. I died on the cross for your sin. I rose from the dead. And believes in him who sent me. You believe the Father sent the Son. You have eternal life. And you won't come into judgment or condemnation. But you've made the transition from death into life and darkness and light. Receive him. Believe him. Walk with him. In Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand.